Wow, how many of you are glad to be in church today? I most certainly am. I, I'm so pleased to be here. I'm so pleased to be here with you. And didn't the team do a great, great job leading us in worship today? As they always do. Hey, before I get into part two of the series we started last week, I just wanted you to know how much I appreciated a great, great surprise that you provided me with last weekend on my birthday. I was blown away. I never knew. It restored my confidence in God's people and their ability to keep secrets because I'd wondered. But your ability to keep that quiet, and I had no idea. And then I read your cards and your thoughts and your gifts. It just absolutely uh, blew me away. I'm humbled by it. I'm grateful for it. And it just makes me feel appreciated. And I appreciate you, and I love you. And I thank you so much for blessing me last week. Well, I'm... uh, very excited about, motivated by this message series that we started last Sunday. In, in fact, it's been, you know, just exciting to work on. And, and a lot of these guys who, you know, who prepare talks and give messages, and there are several that are seated right here that uh, often speak here. And uh, they'll just tell you, it's generally, at least it's not for me, it's, it's not easy work. It's, it's hard work, the study, the prep, the research, and all of that, putting it, tying it all together and all of that. And, you know, at times it feels a little bit painstaking, although you enjoy it. But uh, working on this series has been, you know, put a lot of effort into it. But it's just been so exciting when I set it down. And I know I've got to set it down for a while, just looking forward to picking it back up and studying some more and uh, writing some more. And uh, it's just been very, very uh, exciting for me to get into. And I want to just say, whatever you do, do not miss next Sunday, uh, the 18th. Do not miss the 25th. Uh, those are going to be very, very important Sundays. In fact, I would just say next week, because I already know. You don't know what I'm going to talk about next week. How many of you are glad I know what I'm going to talk about next week? How many of you feel a little bit more relaxed because you know what I'm going to talk about this week? Okay, well, good, because I don't really know what I'm going to talk about this week. No, I do. But I know what I'm going to be talking about next week, and I'm just saying to you, it would be a great, great time for you to invite people that you know that are not church people, people that you work with, people that are in your neighborhood, uh, people that you know, friends that you have, family members that you have. You, you know by now. You know by now we're never going to do anything to embarrass you. We're not going to do that. We're not going to uh, make people feel awkward or out. Of, we're not going to do that. That is not who we are. That is not what we do. I mean, I promise I am not going to sing next week. I know you want me to, but I'm not going to do it. And so I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. And, uh, but we do want you to get them here because what we're going to talk about is going to be so important. So you've got friends that are far, far from God, people that, you know, church is not even on their radar screen now. Maybe it's never been. And maybe you're saying, well, I, I know a good atheist friend. Are they welcome? Absolutely. I want them to be here. Bring all the atheists, agnostics, everybody you can, people that are far from God. And then we're going to see what God might do to touch their mind and touch their heart. So you get them here next week. We're calling this series The Heart of Christmas. Now, what do you think of? What is the first thing that you think of? And a lot of you are going to think different things. We don't all think in the same way. But what do you think of first when you hear the word, when I say the word Christmas? Some of you are going to think of stores. How many of you have been in stores this week? You've been in stores. How many of you have gotten in fights in stores. I, I, I hope that you've not done that, although you may have wanted to. But uh, you may think of stores, or you may think of gifts. 
You may think of families. I'm thinking about, you know, knowing the little baby girls are going to be flying in on, on Friday. I'm thinking about that a lot. Maybe you think about parties. Maybe you think about concerts that you've been to or have to go to or will be going to or Christmas plays. And maybe you've been thinking a lot about food. Maybe you've been thinking about that you've not been eating enough food, although I think most of us would say we've been eating more than enough food, more than we probably should. Uh, hopefully all of us have reminded ourselves that it's Jesus' birthday, and we keep that in mind. But what do you think of when you hear the word Christmas? And in this series, what we're asking is what is really at the heart of Christmas? When you really think about and when you really search the Bible, what is Christmas really about? What is at the heart of Christmas? And we talked about this when we kicked it off last week in part one, and we said you cannot talk about Christmas without talking about generosity. Because the spirit of Christmas is the spirit of generosity. And we talked about four things in regards to generosity. If you were here, you will remember this. If you were not here, I would encourage you to go online and check that out. We said that generosity, number one, causes us to be more like God. Generosity causes us to be more like God. Secondly, we said that generosity will keep selfishness from taking root in our life because by nature, we're all selfish. No matter how good we are, no matter how much we love God, at the root of who we are, uh, for the most part, is this, this, this selfishness. And generosity helps to fight against that. Thirdly, we said that generosity will grow our faith. Nothing will ever test our faith like finances will test our faith. And generosity helps to expand that. And then fourthly, last week, we said generosity causes our lives to be blessed by God. So when you look at Christmas, the heart of Christmas, one of the things you've got to know about it is Christmas is all about generosity. The second thing that we're going to talk about here in part two of this series is Christmas is all about love. It's about love. Just think about it. How could we ever closely examine what Christmas is all about and just somehow in the process of that overlook love? You cannot do that. It is love. Really, when you think about it, it is God's love that initiated Christmas in the first place. In fact, I want you to look on the screen and I want you to read this verse with me. It's really a verse that is so profound in so many ways, but it's a verse about Christmas when you think about it. John 3, 16, let's all read it together. All means all, 100%. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost and have eternal life. That's Christmas. God so loved the world that at Christmas, he gave his son who had been positioned with him in heaven. He gave Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and came into the world at Christmas all because of love. I want you to look at this next verse. You don't have to read it, but Ephesians 5, 2 says this, live a life. And this is to us, all of us live a life filled with what? Love, live a life filled with love, following whose example, following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. So as followers of Jesus, uh, we're supposed to live like Jesus. Would you agree with that? His followers ought to live like him. And Jesus lived. There's no doubt about it. From the beginning to the end of his life here on earth, he lived a life of love. 
And Jesus not only loved us enough, I was thinking about this a lot this week, Jesus not only loved us enough to spend some time in a manger, I mean, which was so like what he was accustomed to in heaven, that Jesus would love us so much that he would spend some time in a manger as a baby, but he would also love us enough that he would be willing to be nailed to a cross as a grown man. And that is love. And still to this very day, when you think about it, the love of God covers the whole earth. It covers the whole earth. It's not just like, you know, God's love was true at Christmas and God's, you know, the first Christmas and God's love was exemplified in the cross, although both of these, those things are true. But it's not like God has cut off the flow of his love into the world. In fact, I want you to read this next verse with me. Psalm 119, 64. It's a short verse. Everybody read it. O Lord... Your unfailing love fills the earth. Your unfailing love fills the earth. And it is impossible to do justice to Christmas. If you're going to talk about what is at the heart of Christmas, to not talk about love. Before we dive into what I want to share with you this morning, I want to just let all of you know this, every one of you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, I don't ever want you to forget that God loves you that God loves you, that deep down, and you may not even contemplate it a whole lot, but deep down, when you really, really think about God, you ought to think about this, that God made you to love you. And deep down, everybody wants to be loved. Isn't it true? I I don't run into anybody. I mean, people, because of hurts or disappointments or pain in their life, they may try to, you know, layer their heart or put up some defenses so that they pretend as though they don't want to be loved or that they do not need to be loved. But that is not true. God made us to love us, and God created us in such a way that all of us want to be, and all of us need to be loved. If somebody says to me, well, I don't really want to be loved, this is what I know. This is, a, this is a person that has been deeply bruised with life, or this person that is just simply not being honest. God wants to love you, and you want to need love, and that is why God sent Jesus at Christmas, and we need to talk about it. And I want to share with you for the next few moments between now and the end of this service, which is about an hour and 20 minutes from now, Not really. I have a clock always in front of me. And I know what time it is. And I know what time I'll be done. But I want to share with you four things about love that every one of us needs to know. Everybody needs to know, actually. And these things come straight out of the Bible. All right? Four things about love that I want you to see. Number one, here's what I want you to get. You may want to write it down somewhere. Put it on your phone or your your, uh, tablet. Number one, those who love Jesus are going to obey his teachings and commands. Let me say that again. Excuse me. Those who love Jesus are going to obey the teachings and the commands of Jesus. Now, how many of you know that if you really love somebody, no matter who it is, a friend, a spouse, a child, a parent, if you really love someone, then you naturally want to be, uh, and not in unhealthy ways, but in healthy ways, you want to please that person. You do not want to. Say, for example, if you're married, and many of you are. If you are married, you do not want to intentionally aggravate, irritate, and frustrate your spouse. Now, some of you, I know you, and and you may want to do that, and and you do that. But uh, most people don't. What you want to have happen in the context of a marriage relationship is you want there to be cooperation over conflict. You want there to be devotion over division. You want there to be love over loneliness. 
And so when you think about it, what you want to do is because you love somebody, you want to please somebody. When I was growing up, I had two primary motivators for wanting to obey my parents. The two motivators for me in my obedience to them was number one was love, but I've got to tell you the other part of it for me was also discipline. Now, I've got to tell you, and if she was seated right here, and I wish that she were able to, if my mom was seated right here, I would say in front of her, because it's true, that I I honestly never feared my mother's discipline. I I never did. I just, uh, my mother is four foot ten, and she has the strength of an injured gnat. That's about as strong as my mother is. She's very, very weak. And yet, when I was small, and generally when I got a spanking, my brother was getting spanking, vice versa. It was generally like a cooperative effort. It's not isolated. Mom, for some reason, in her psyche, she thought that she needed to spank you. Maybe she felt insecure about her size or her weakness, but she felt that she needed to spank you until you cried. Can I tell you how many times, a countless number of times, I have cried phony cries? Just, oh, 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 it's so terrible. Oh, please stop. Oh, this is killing me. Please, please stop. Dad? Now, that's a different story. Dad made up for her weakness. How many of you happen to grow up in the days when you still could beat people, you know, like kids? And those are the days I remember. I remember them well. And boy, did I get my share of them. And yet primarily, looking back, I followed their guidance and instruction, not because of discipline alone, although that was always in the back of my mind, but I primarily followed their guidance and instruction because I love them. What if I said to my parents, or anybody else for that matter, well, you know what, I love you, but if I'd said to my parents, to my mom and my dad, you know what, I love you, but I never intend on listening to you. That would not have gone well. I would have been back with mom. Oh, 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 it's horrible. You're ruthless. Stop, please stop. You know, dad, differently. But, you know, they would not believe that I love them if I just said, hey, I'm never going to listen to you. And by the way, I never plan on doing anything that you tell me to do. There's two verses in John chapter 14 that I want you to see. Look at them here on the screen. John 14, two verses out of the same chapter. John 14, verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, read the rest of it with me, everybody. If you love me, you will do as I command. How do you know you love Jesus? You do what he commands. It's not what you say. How many of you know you can say all kinds of stuff and never follow through on it? Jesus said, if you really do love me, you will do as I command. Look at the next verse. This is verse 21, just six verses down. Still John 14. Jesus is still speaking, and he said, if you love me, you will do what I have said, and my Father will love you. I will also love you and show you what I'm like. So you cannot, friends, it is impossible to talk about what is at the heart of Christmas without talking about love. And one of the things out of the Bible that you and I need to know in our love directed toward God is simply this. Those who love Jesus are going to obey his teachings and his commands. So that is a love from us that is directed, we might would say, heavenward. Secondly, all right, second of four, Jesus said in regards to love, 
that he wants us to love people. Not just to love him, and we know that we love him because we do what he wants us to do. We obey his commands. But Jesus not only wants us to love him, Jesus wants us to love each other. You think about this. If Jesus came into the world as a gift from God at Christmas, and that it was all inspired by love, that Christmas was inspired by love, then wouldn't it make perfect sense to you and to me that God would want us to sincerely love each other? He would want that. And we can know that this is critically important to God because Jesus speaks to this again and again. In fact, Jesus, and I want you to really dial in right here, that Jesus actually describes how the world can recognize a discernible mark of an authentic Christian. Jesus said, this is, this is why, and you're going to see it. Jesus said, this is how the world, this is going to be the mark. When people look at you and, and they see this about your life, they're going to know that you really belong to me. They're going to know that you're really my follower. They're going to know that you're really in love with me and that you're really my disciple. And Jesus said, people will be able to accurately diagnose this, that you're one of my followers. Did Jesus say, people are going to know this because they're going to see that you have a judgmental attitude. And when they see you got this judgmental attitude, they're going to know that you're a Christian. No, that's not what Jesus said. Uh, Did Jesus say, well, you know, if you have a superior, you know, sense about you over people that do not know and love God, if you just feel, uh, you know, spiritually smog, sanctimonious, then the world's going to know that you're a Christian because of your sanctimony and smugness. Did Jesus say that? Absolutely not. Did Jesus say, well, the world is going to know you're my disciple because you quote Bible verses that you are not even serious about that you never fully intend to keep, but because you can quote them. The world's going to know that you're my disciples. Is that what Jesus said? Absolutely not. Did he say you're going to be known as my follower because you only like people that are just like you? You only hang around people who are just like you. Did Jesus say that on any of those? No, no, no. I know it's Christmas. I didn't say ho, ho, ho. I said no, no, no. It's not what Jesus said. And far from it. I want you to take a look At John 13, I want you to see two verses right up here on the screen. Look at them with me. John 13, Jesus said this, let me give you a new command. How many of you know if Jesus says something like that, it's probably good to listen. Let me give you a new command. Here it is. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. Look at the next verse. This, this, focus on that word. This is how everyone will recognize Read these next five words with me. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. That's how they're going to know. That's how they're going to know that you belong to me. Jesus is clearly telling us that the acid test of discipleship is the test of love. Let me repeat that. Jesus is telling us that the acid test of discipleship is the test of love. The world's going to know that you're my disciples. How? Because they see you loving each other. Now, you may not feel as strongly about this as I do. I hope that you'll change on that. And and let me just say, if you have no intention of changing, and if you just insist on being hateful or combative or rude or bitter or retaliating, if you just choose to do that, if you just say, that's who I am, that's what I'm going to do, fine, fine. Just please don't tell anybody you're a Christian. Please don't tell them, because it's an image nightmare for the kingdom of God, isn't it? we got to be different from that. That's all around us. Hate is everywhere. Uh, Rudeness is prevailing. 
Bitterness. Uh, b- by the way, I, I, I just don't do this. I've been in this situation enough where I've made a decision that I'm just not, unless it's something I cannot get out of, that I am not going to go sit down in a restaurant with somebody that is rude because at some point in that time, they're going to so embarrass me and I'm going to want to hang my head and apologize for them and me and God and everybody else. So as, you know, as often as I can get out, I get out of it. Because rudeness is everywhere. Bitterness is everywhere. A retaliatory attitude is everywhere. But it's not to be named among us. Instead, choose to be known for your love. 1 Peter 4, it's not on the screen, but it says this. Most importantly, love each other deeply because love will cause many sins to be forgiven. Uh, Do you know what I've discovered? I have discovered, and and try this on if you've not done this. If you said, well, I'd, I'd like to try this for myself. If If you say, well, here's what I'm going to do, I am going to become a distributor of love, that you're going to open it up, uh, you're on distribution of love. Here's what I found in my own life. The more that I choose to distribute love, the more that it puts me in a position where I can be a receiver of love as well. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The more that you choose to become a distributor of love, it's just wonderful how that you set yourself up to be loved by other people. And so I think deeply about so many things in regards to this talk, knowing where I was going with it, knowing why God was speaking to me. And, and I thought that there are a lot of things that you and I say that we love, but they do not even possess the capacity to love us in return. And I, I'll, I'll just, I won't use you for an example, and you can appreciate that. So I'll use myself for an example, all right? So a lot of times I'm, I, make, I make this statement, and it's true. It's true. I love, quote, in whatever way you can, love pizza. I love pizza. Anytime I get a splurge meal, uh, it's like where I can eat anything that I want and as much of it. Uh, a good percentage of the time, I'm going to choose pizza. I, I love pizza, but I've never, and I've had a lot of it, but I've never had pizza love me in return. <laughs> I've had pizza hate me on occasion, <laughs> but I've never had pizza love me in return. I love college football. Are you surprised by that? I love college football. I love it. But, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I was a little bit ticked off. But I remembered I was talking about love, so I set it, I set it aside. I, I, I realized I've never, been, I've never been loved by college football. There's never been a commercial break, and, you know, between, between plays, you know, a timeout. An announcer looks at me on the team and says, Jeff, you're loved. You're loved by college football. It loves you but it doesn't love me in return. I love, and I put this to the test recently, I love Bluebell ice cream. Does anybody feel that Bluebell ice cream is God's will for your life too? And man, I love it, but I've never opened up a container of Bluebell and heard a voice. Remember the old, you know, was it margarine commercials that would speak to you? I've never opened it up and said, I love you. Really? I love you too. That's why I'm going to eat you right now. I love the beach. The beach does not. I love working out. doesn't love me in return. I love Chick-fil-A. Now, Chick-fil-A will love you in return. I found that out. I found that out this past Sunday. They will love you in return. They, they have chosen to love me in return uh, by, by a lunch. You, you heard it mentioned last week that, you know, for a year, I actually have been given by Chick-fil-A, by Chick-fil-A, 
uh, one free lunch every week for one year. Can you believe it? Now I'm going seven times a week to Chick-fil-A. I go every morning, and thank you for some of those Chick-fil-A cards. I've already been using them in the mornings. And then Chick-fil-A said, uh, so Chick-fil-A will love you in return. And the cow. How many of you thought it was cool? The cow was here. I've never, I've been to church my whole life, and I've never seen the Chick-fil-A cow show up. I told my friends back at the North Campus that not only was the Chick-fil-A cow here, but he got saved at the end of the service, and that it was very moving. I couldn't help it. I just, I couldn't. I'm sorry. I apologize. So there's so many things that we say that we love, but they do not love us back. But how many of you know that people, the best of God's creation, can love you back? People can love you back. And Jesus said, you love people. You love people. And the world's going to know that you're my disciples because they see love evidenced in your life. Read this verse with me. This is 1 John 4, 11. Let's all read it together. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you can't talk about Christmas, can you, without talking about love? And if we really love Jesus, the Bible says that we're going to obey his commands. We're going to follow his teachings. If you really want to be a person of love, Jesus said, here's what you got. Not only are you to love me, not only are you to love God, but you're to love everybody. You're to, you're to love people. You're to love each, each other. Now, thirdly, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this one is not easy. This is not easy. It is not for the faint-hearted or insecure. Thirdly, and some of you are not going to like this, and I understand, Jesus even wants us to love our enemies. Oh, man. Jesus wants us to love our enemies. Uh, did you hear about the guy that got bit by the dog? Some of you may have. A guy gets bit by a dog, and he learned that the dog had rabies. So while he's sitting in the doctor's office, he begins making out a list. The doctor told him, hey, listen, you don't have to make out a will. The, the rabies that you got from this dog can be cured. The guy looked back at his doctor, and he said, oh, I'm not making out a will. He replied, I'm making a list of all the people I want to bite. Is there anybody that you know that it would be so much more satisfying to bite or to despise or to resent than it is to love them? Don't look at them. Don't, don't look at them. I'm sure you do, and so do I. But can I just tell you that is not an option for serious-minded followers of Jesus. It is not. In fact, I want you to look at what Jesus said. Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your Enemies, enemies. And do what? Pray for those who hurt you. Can I, you know, how many of you are with me, by the way? Can I just see you see your wave at me like that? All right, I see you, see you all. Anybody here ever been hurt by anybody? Could I just see your hand? Would you wave at me? Anybody ever done you wrong? Anybody ever done? And you're just like, I can't believe that. And it made you so, so mad. And Jesus says, love even those people. Love your enemies, pray for them. You ever been prompted to pray prayers that you knew Jesus didn't want you to pray for people? I can remember it's been nearly 20 years ago, a guy who had, all I can say now reflecting back is a guy who had pretended for the longest time to be my friend, and then he did something that was so deceptive and so hurtful and so painful and so wrong that for a good while, for a good while, I'm, I'm just being transparent with you. I'm not proud of this. I'm not endorsing this. I'm just telling you my own personal struggle. 
that when it happened, because it seemed so dastardly to me, that, that for a good while, I, uh, it, how do I describe it? I disliked him intensely. That's the easiest, I disliked him intensely. But you know what I found? That the longer that I held on to that, the more that it negatively affected me. I wasn't clear in my spiritual life. I wasn't praying the kind of vibrant prayers I'd once prayed. I'd open up my Bible to allow God to speak to me from his word, and I'd be thinking about this person, and I'd be like, I can't believe they did that. And then I'd come across these verses, you know, I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, God, I've got to love him? Really? I mean, surely, you know, give me, give me a free pass on this guy. I pray for those who hurt. I've got to pray for this guy. Okay, I pray for him. God, let him continually be surrounded by mosquitoes every single second. Let them bite him repeatedly, you know, from this day forward for the rest of his life. Let fleas infest every part of his clothing. You know, I, I mean, I wanted to pray, but it was not God-honoring kind of prayers. And it just kept me... You know, looking back emotionally and spiritually, physically, just tied up in knots. Now, I can talk about it now. I, I could talk about it then. And uh, I was a pastor then, too. And I couldn't really talk about it because I was so struggling with it. But, but I can remember a break when this, this verse really began to sink in. And I could say, you know what? I need to love him, too. And I need to pray for him. And I started praying for him. I'll never forget it. I started praying that God would bless his life that God would bless his business, that God would bless his family. And, and it didn't come real easy initially, but, you know, the more that I prayed for him and just made it a point to pray for him, and God began, it's amazing, it's amazing that I began to pray for him, God began to do something good in me. And I can look back and say, God, I'm so glad that you brought me through that. I'm so glad. And, and I know that some of you are struggling with that. Maybe you, you've had a business partner in the past that just did you so wrong. Maybe a, maybe a family member, maybe a trusted friend or confidant. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe just situations in your life that, man, it was just so wrong. It was so bad that you're saying, I could never love somebody like that. And yet Jesus tells us we've even got to love our enemies and we've got to pray for them. Many of you have heard of Dale Carnegie, and I'm not making him out to be a theologian. I'm not quite uh, quoting him because he's a Bible scholar. But he did make a great statement when he said this. He said, when we hate our enemies, we give them power over us. We give them power over our sleep. We give them power over our appetites. We give them power over our happiness. And then he adds this, they would dance with joy if they knew how much they were worrying us our hate is not hurting them at all. And isn't that true? And you know what? I had to look back and say, you know, my intense, I don't know if I was at a level, I want to believe it was not at the level of hate, but it was a, a strong, strong, strong dislike. And I just, man, I just wasn't hurting him at all. Didn't bother him, didn't phase him. He did, maybe he didn't even know it. I don't know how he couldn't have known it, but I don't, maybe he didn't. But it wasn't hurting him, but it was killing me, and it would kill you, and it's not God's best. Back to Matthew 5, back to Matthew 5, this time verse 46, a few verses down, two verses down, Jesus says this, look at it on the screen. He said, if you love only the people who love you, you get no reward. There's no reward for that. You don't get a reward for loving people that love you. A reward you and I are going to get in heaven, or we're going to get a reward for loving people who did not love us. We're going to get a reward in heaven for loving people who hated us, who were unkind to us, who did us wrong. We're going to get a reward in heaven for, 
for that, for loving them. Look at this verse. This is Luke 6, 27. This is what I say to all who will listen to me. Again, this is Jesus. Love your enemies. Remember earlier he said, I want you to pray for them. And now he says, I want you to be good to them. You be good to everyone who hates you. You just got to do that. You just, because it's what my followers do. And again, you cannot talk about Christmas without talking about love in all of its various facets. And so we've said, firstly, those who love Jesus are going to obey his teachings and commands. Secondly, Jesus wants us to love each other. Thirdly, Jesus, if you can believe it, even wants us to love our enemies. And then lastly, we cannot walk away today. And I'm going to take these last few moments, and it will not take me long because you need to understand this. I alluded to it earlier, but I want to talk about it for a few moments, and that is how much does God love you? How much does God love you? The answer to that is more than you could ever imagine. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And it leads us right back to Christmas, right back. Look at Romans 5.8. Look at Romans 5.8 here on the screen. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ. That's Christmas. He sent Jesus into the world. His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I love a lot of people. I do. I, I cannot, and I thank God for it. It's not beyond, because I'm beyond it, because I was vulnerable with a struggle I had a number of years ago. I'm not beyond what I described to you, but it's just to be at a good place in my life where I can't think of a single person that I, I hate. I, I don't hate anybody that I know, and I think I would know if I hated them. And I love a lot of people. How many of you know it's a whole lot easier to live your life loving people than hating people? And I love a lot of people. But having said that, and really weighing it against this verse that we just saw in Romans 5, 8, I love a lot of people, but ask me how many people I'd actually die for. And I got to tell you, that, that list is significantly reduced. <laughs> love them. Am I going to die for them? I'd like to think I would, but I'm not absolutely positive. And the reason I mention that, God loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. That's how much God loves you. God loves you in a ridiculous amount to the point that he would die for you. And you know what? When you study the Bible, he did not wait until you decided to love him. And when you said, okay, now I'm going to love God. And God said, well, good. Now that you love me, I'm going to love you. No, God loved you before you loved him. God loved you before you decided to become a good and decent person. It wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And some of you are feeling this right now, that God doesn't love me. But, you know, I'm going to earn God's love because somehow, somehow in a warped relationship that you had, that you had to earn the love of somebody else. And you had to do something in order at least in your mind, to, to cause them to love you. So if you'll do this, they'll love you. And that's not how God operates. God doesn't wait until you're a good person or you do, you know, uh, what he wants you to do. God loved you before you were good and decent. He did not even wait for you to become a Christian. Why did we just read there in Romans 5 eight that God loved us even while we were still sinners, loved us so much he sent Jesus. And Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross. But this is what I know. I know that there are many of you seated right here today, and you're thinking, that sounds way, way too good, Jeff. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you for being positive and optimistic and all those things we expect preachers to do and talking about love and stuff, but I just can't believe that God loves me. There's no way that God could feel an outrageous love for me. And maybe the reason why you've convinced yourself is that maybe you've said, you know what? I've, I've sinned way too much. I have sinned so much. There's no way that God could love me. Or, or maybe you'd take it beyond that and you'd say, you know, not only have I sinned a whole lot, 
I've done like the really big, major sins. And because I've broken those commandments, because I've committed those sins, there's no way that God could love me. There are some of you seated in this room, and I know it as well as I, I know my name. Some of you are seated in this room, and you want to believe that what I'm telling you at this moment is actually true, but something, and it's either your own mind or the evil one speaking into your mind that is telling you that you've gone too far, that God cannot love you because you've gone too far, or that you've hurt too many people, or that you have so majorly disappointed God that how could God love you? And I want to tell you, friend, you have to know, you have to believe that whatever you've sinned, Whatever you've done, how many times you've sinned, uh, you may think that you've gone too far, but you've not, or that you've hurt too many people. I'm telling you here today that God loves you. You may feel like I've crossed the line. No, you haven't. I want you to look at these verses right here, and then we're going to wrap up. This is Romans 8, 38 through 39, because some of you are saying, you know, there's no way. I mean, how could God love me? I want you to look at these verses. They matter a whole lot. Romans 8, 38 and 39, I am convinced that, what's this word? Nothing. Nothing. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, which Christ Jesus our Lord shows us. We can't be separated by death or life, by angels or rulers, by anything in the present or anything in the future, by forces or powers in the world above or in the world below, or, look at these words, or by anything else. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then it's like the writer goes on, Paul does, and he just says all these, and he gives us an example, and he said, but it goes beyond that. Nothing else can separate you from the love of God, and it can. Rick Warren writes this, there's nothing you can do that would make God stop loving you. You could try, but you'd fail because God's love for you is based on his character, not your conduct. It's based on who he is and not what you've done. We're out of time. I want to pray. Would everybody right here, right now, would you bow your head? And in your heart, I want you to pray. Just pray it in your mind. And you say, does God hear me when I do that? Absolutely. Does God know what I'm intended to do? Yes, he does. And right there where you're at, would you just pray something like this? You could pray it right after me in your heart and in your mind. God, I want to be known as a person of love. That's what I want. I want to be known as a person of love. I want it to be fully demonstrated in my life in the way that I follow your son, Jesus, in the way that I obey his teachings and his commands, in the way that I love people, including my enemies. God, thank you so much. I know your love is real. Thank you for loving me so outrageously and unconditionally in a way that that love continues to pursue me. And then others of you, before we're done, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're one of those people I was talking about a few moments ago. I've sinned way too much. I've sinned the really big sins. I've gone too far. I've crossed the line. I've hurt too many people. I've disappointed God. And I'm just telling you, God loves you, and God wants to receive you into his family. God loves you enough that he died on the cross for you. And maybe right there where you're at, you would just pray, Something like this. God, I know that the message of Christmas is a message of love. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus at Christmas. And that he died on the cross for me. For me, a sinner. 
Today I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Jesus, I know that you offered me a great gift, the gift of salvation. And I open up my heart and life to receive it. I invite you into my life as my Savior and leader. And I will live for you the rest of my life with your help. And everybody said, amen, amen. He's an amazing God, isn't he? He's a God of amazing love. Can we just give him a hand clap? I'm so glad you came today. You can stand. We're dismissed. We're out of time. I love you. I hope you have an awesome week. Listen, be back. I'm just telling you, next week, but it's really, really important that you bring somebody with you. Have a great week. Love you, everybody.